back to the Messy Reformation. My name's Jason Rice. I'm the lead pastor at Faith Community CRC in Beaver Dam, Wisconsin. My co-host is Willie Cronkey. He's a member at PCRC in Pease, Minnesota. We're just a couple of guys who love the Christian Reformed Church and want to see Reformation happen in our denomination. And we realize that whenever Reformation happens in the history of the church, things get messy. And after this past synod, things are really starting to get messy in the Christian Reformed Church. So we're taking the opportunity to have conversations with pastors throughout the Christian Reformed Church to find out what's going on in our denomination, but also to talk about what Reformation might look like. If you haven't already, take a moment, click subscribe so you don't miss any of our upcoming content. We're dropping episodes every single Sunday evening. We also want to say thank you to everyone who sponsored us on Patreon. We're slowly making our way to that modest goal of 20 sponsors at $5 a month. So if you appreciate what we're doing and want to help us continue to put out content, head on over to patreon.com backslash the messy reformation. We're also dreaming about ways to expand the reach and the content of the messy reformation. We've been listening to the struggles and frustrations of our audience and we feel compelled to meet some of those needs. So pay close attention over the next couple months. We've got some exciting things in the works. With all that said, we're going to get to this week's episode, which is part two of our conversation with Stephen Terpstra. What people want from their pastor is probably related in some sense to some confusion they have about what the gospel is. Mm-hmm. I think false gospels feed into what, what, what should my pastor do? You know, if, if I think that, that our job is to transform my community for Jesus then my pastor should be a social organizer. Yeah. You know, if, if I think that, that our, you know, that, that my hope is to be part of a successful church, then my pastor should be a great inspiring leader, you know, a, a vision caster. I'm mm-hmm. still not entirely sure what that word means. You know, I mean, I don't have a vision. God has a vision. I'm happy to work for his vision, yeah. uh, but I don't have a vision for your church. It's not my church. It doesn't, doesn't belong to me. I have no right to change its vision. You know, I'm just a servant, just like everybody else in the church. We're serving the one who has the real vision for the church, Jesus Christ. And, and so, yeah, you know, if, if your gospel is, I want to feel good um, in this life, or I want to be successful in this life, then your pastor's job is to make you feel good, or to give you, you know, tips and tools for handling your money or having a better marriage or whatever it is that you value, you know, and I think we're seeing a lot more and more of that. And so pastors are expected to do everything in some sense. You know, your pastor has to be, you know, a community organizer and they have to be an evangelist and they have to be, you know, a great organizer of people and of organizations. And they have to be, you know, a vision and dream caster, you know, and they have to be inspiring and give you all these helpful tools and be a therapist. And if they get around to it, maybe preach a little gospel too. And, and you know, I, I fundamentally believe um, that if, if any church is looking to a pastor <laughs> to do any of those things for them, um, they are going to be sorely disappointed. And, and probably that's one of the reasons why we're seeing so many pastors leaving the ministry or at least getting kicked out of their church yeah. uh, because they cannot do uh, what, what people want them to do. It's just not possible. You know, mm-hmm. and sometimes, sometimes the pastor has a moral failing. Those are different scenarios. Uh, but I've seen a lot of pastors who are faithful in their ministry. I mean, they're they're preaching the gospel, they're 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 visiting their people, they're they're loving their people, they're they're doing the work of ministry, uh, but they didn't save their church. 
they didn't inspire mm-hmm. people enough or whatever it is that somebody wanted. And so they've got to go so we can find somebody else who will do it. You know, and I, I increasingly, as the years go on, really believe that, that the gospel is the very power of God unto salvation. Um, the, you know, God's word never returns empty. It always accomplishes its purpose. And, and so if my people don't have any hope, if there's going to be power in what we do, uh, then that's what we should do. First and foremost, every single time we are called to preach the full counsel of God, to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ as, as the first order of business, uh, not, not with a couple minutes that we have left in our week after all of the other things we did. And so I think we should train people to be preachers first and yeah. foremost. Yeah, and I, I think one one of the kind of trends I've just been seeing, and and this is me reading into it, so um, you know, somebody can correct me if they think I'm wrong, but I've over the years, so I've been paying attention to Synod for a long time, even though this last one was my first one. But I remember, I don't know how many years ago now, six, seven years ago, right before I was coming into seminary, there was something, some report at Synod where pastors were talking about how, oh, they just, they were coming into their churches and they were just not feeling equipped to do the work that they were called to do. Just, ah, I just don't, I wasn't able to, you know, manage the the council. I didn't, I wasn't able to do that. I wasn't able to like prepare a budget and I wasn't able to blah, 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 all of these things. And uh, I just, you know, I, it just equipped me to understand God's word and preach. And that was it. And I need more, I need more of this. And so what I've seen is that now uh, at Calvin Seminary in particular, it feels like there's been a this emphasis and we've been like cutting out some of the theological training and implementing the the practical, more practical aspects of ministry. And, and I, I should, cl- I, I always want to clarify that, you know, I was different. I was a distant student. And so I didn't get a lot of, I didn't have much opportunity to pick electives. They were kind of chosen for me. Um, because that's just what happens when you're a distance student. However, all of my electives were all practical. Um, if I wanted, if I wanted to go out and and like if I, I wanted to do first and second Thessalonians with Wyma, um, I had to do that through an independent study. I had to do it all off on my own because the the course was all practical, 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 practical. And and I've been trying to kind of raise this question. I was actually able to to raise this question with uh, President Maidenblick uh, a couple of weeks ago and say, you know, is the classroom actually the place to learn how to do these practical things? Or, or are they things that you can only learn by just being baptized by fire in your church to actually figure out how to like care for someone in the hospital? Are you going to learn that in, in the classroom? Or are you just going to fail at it a few times by going and visiting someone in a tough spot and saying, oh, I shouldn't have done that? And, uh, and maybe rather than lowering the theological bar in order to cram in this practical stuff, we need to keep the theological bar high and then have more of an internship model where you can go with another pastor to learn some of these, these practical things. Yeah, um, because- and of course, one of the things that's happened is that we got rid of the year-long internship um, yeah. a while ago already, mm-hmm. uh, which was in that very vehicle, because some things you just have to learn on the field. You, you yeah. can't learn them in the end. And on top of that, there are some things that people want you to do, but that doesn't mean you should do them. Right. Um, you know, over, over in Canada, you know, where I was born, it's, I mean, the pastor may not, by law, be the chair of council. Uh, because he's an employee, it's a nonprofit organization. 
And so that's a standard practice over there. I've noticed in the U.S. a lot of pastors are, are in that sense, the, the leaders of the council, they're, they're administrators, uh, they're accountants, they're doing all kinds of organizational things. Um, and I will admit that's more efficient. I will grant you that. Uh, the church is not efficient. <laughs> yep. Um, the church works slow. Um, but I think that's actually one of its strengths, not one of its weaknesses. I know even now people are, are really concerned that Synod is working so slow. <laughs> um, and it does work slow. I mean, yeah. Synod meets once a year. Um, and of course, lately it didn't meet for, for three years. And so, yeah, the church works slow. Um, but that's okay. You know, I am very intentionally not the chair of my council. Yep. I, I want to be the pastor in the room. Uh, you know, I, I can run a meeting probably as efficiently as anybody else in the church. <laughs> I've been to more of them, certainly. But I want to be the pastor in the room, you know, and so I, I don't I don't do that stuff. I, I don't run budgets. You know, I'm present. I talk about how that relates to ministry and to our calling as, as God's children. But I want to be the pastor in the room because mm -hmm. that's my calling. Other people have financial expertise. Other people are called. I mean, I mean, in fact, our church polity is that elders and deacons are called by God as under shepherds. Um, we're not CEOs. Mm -hmm. uh, we don't run organizations. We are ministers of the word. And I think we have to we have to put those fences back up. Yes. Amen. You know, and that, so that's on us, too. Yeah. Yeah. Because it is easier for us just to run the show. Absolutely. But I mean, it, things work so efficient <laughs> until they don't. Until they don't. Exactly. Until, you know, until like, you know, I've, I've told people, so one of my, so I'm in a church revitalization. And so I've been working really. And so my temptation is I've, I've been the chair of many boards and organizations. So I've ran so many meetings and I can, I can run a really efficient meeting. And so my temptation is always to just jump in and grab a meeting and, and run it because I'm like, I was cringing a little bit like, ah, oh, we could be, we could be going so much quicker, but, but I don't because they need to be the ones to lead the church. I'm just an elder. I'm not even, you know, I even have people say, well, you're chief among elders. I'm like, no, there's none of that. No, I am just an elder with a specific calling to teach and preach God's word. Um, and all the rest of you elders are right in here with me, but anyways, and so I've been really trying to implement this. Like I am not the CEO. I am not the boss. Um, for a long time. And then, and so things have been inefficient for, you know, I've been here now four years. However, then you have what I had happen to me this last fall where I get COVID, I get stuck in the hospital and I'm out for three months. Guess how the church functioned without me? Just fine. Just fine. Because they've been doing it for a while. But if I would have been the one running the show, doing everything, um, things would have just collapsed because they wouldn't have been equipped to do that, do that work. And so like it props up your ego a little bit, if you're the one running it and things are running smoothly, but, but then you disappear and then the church falls apart underneath you. And so just, yeah, we have to be able to just rest with this inefficiency that happens in churches because, well, that's another tool of discipleship. We're discipling our elders and our deacons by letting, by having them run the meetings um, we're, we're discipling them to to do their calling in, in the church. Absolutely. And I, and I think that that's because we have this long-term vision of the church. You know, we're trying to equip the saints for generations to come. You know, obviously in, in the business world, by and large, especially the big companies, you know, all they're concerned really about is, is share prices. You know, we got to get this quarter uh, to, you know, to, to work. 
too many churches have this this concern that well we got to we got to get more people in the pews now. It's an emergency. It's a crisis. And you say, okay, there's churches that have tried that, um, and 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 you can do gimmicks to get get people in the pews. I mean, churches have. I mean, you can you can do that. But what's the long term fruit of that? You know, what happens when the pastor's the CEO? He runs everything. He does anything necessary, literally anything. Uh, you know, just to make the church popular in the short term. What's going to happen in a generation? What's going to happen in two generations? And, and I'm absolutely convinced that, again, God's model for the church, uh, God's design for the church, God's polity for the church is the best one. Yeah. Not yeah. the most efficient one, but it's the best one. Amen. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I've been thinking about, I, I so in church revitalization, I talk to other pastors who do revitalization, you know, and everybody's got their own opinions. But uh, I, I've, I've always said like, this is a really long process. I'm in this for the long haul because revitalization doesn't happen quickly. And I, and I've had buddies who are doing it and they're like, no, you can, you can revitalize a church in five years. You can do it. You just dive in, you just get it. And, and they're the guys that come in, they just grab the bull by the horns. They take over everything. They run it. Things are efficient. Um, and, but then what I've seen is all of these guys and I love them. Um, but when they've left their church, the church crumbled behind them yeah. and there it actually wasn't revitalization. Right. Or I've also watched many of these guys leave the ministry completely in the last few years because they just ran themselves into the ground trying to run the church. They were the, the leader of the church and nobody else was doing anything. And they thought it was efficient, but they ended up burning themselves out and not helping the church either. And so there's this, uh, there's this benefit in seeing the long, the long game, like you said, and, and that's really been on my mind lately. And I'm, I got to write that after this interview, but I'm speaking at our, our school's convocation um, tonight. And, and they wanted me to preach on Psalm 78 and Psalm 78 talks about like um, raising up the next generation, but it also talks about your, your, your grandchildren and your great grandchildren. And it has this like multi-generational thing. And so I'm talking about um, how we start learning to disciple our kids, um, not just thinking about raising them well, but raising our great grandchildren well. And after that, thinking like a hundred years down the road, if I think if we start raising our kids thinking a hundred years down the road, we're going to raise them way differently than thinking like just a couple of years down the road. Exactly, and 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 that's actually I think a really good analogy, and it's a it's kind of a funny thing, you know. Our, as, as a school, we tend to have a, a fairly good idea, you know, what does a productive citizen look like as a culture? You know, what are the basic skills somebody needs to have? And so we kind of have that picture of a, of a, of a fully functioning adult in mind, and we say, well, how are we going to get them there? You know, what is, what's the knowledge they need? What's the skills they need? And our, our education system kind of builds up towards that. I wonder if in the church we have that same picture firmly in mind. You know, what is a fully mature follower of Jesus Christ look like? Somebody who is holy, somebody who is filled with faith, somebody who is confident in the promises of God, somebody who is bold and humble, who can be, you know, gracious and zealous, and, and all those things kind of mixed together, who has, you know, knowledge and is firmly in the spirit, and, and, and then start to work towards that, you know, as a church education system, as parents, as as a denomination, you know, even right now, you know, we've been talking about a lot of really specific issues, 
And obviously the HSR was a, a really kind of a, a specific thing. I think it's a symptom. I don't think it's a fundamental issue. Um, I, I increasingly think, okay, yeah, you know, Synod was good. I'm really thankful for what happened at Synod. Um, but we have to start thinking, you know, what does a, a fully healthy denomination look like? A denomination that loves God's word, God's word, that that trusts it, that is obedient to it as much as, as possible in this life. You know, what does that look like? And how can we get there? And that's gonna, it's not gonna happen in a year. It's not gonna happen in five years. That's a long-term project. And yeah, there's steps we gotta take and, and some of those should happen maybe sooner rather than later. Uh, but we, we need to have the, these long-term goals, this picture, where are we headed? And, and then we start to work backwards. Okay, <laughs> knowing what that looks like, how are we gonna get from here to there? Yeah, yeah, amen. Uh, one of the questions we've been asking some people, just reflecting on synod, and I love to hear your thoughts on it. Were, was as re, you know, having gone through, um, what did you learn about yourself at synod, and then what did you learn about the Christian Reformed Church in general at this last synod? Well, certainly, I I was encouraged at this synod. It was a hard synod. I mean, everybody who was there. I think it was a very different experience watching it. Uh, you know, you guys were in the room. It, it was, there was a lot of tension. Um, not in the sense of, of outright antagonism, but but there was a weight to it. And yet I've been to other synods that felt lighter, but I left really discouraged. You know, I kind of thought, you know, how are we in the same denomination? Um, it was good to be <laughs> with people who love the church again, it really genuinely was, um, to meet some of you, you know, in person again, you know, sometimes we know each other's names, we don't get to, to work together in person, that was a, that was a wonderful thing, and just, and I hate to put it this way, but it's nice to know, to know you're not alone, I, I think a lot of congregations have felt alone for a while, and maybe because so many of the voices that, that put out all the material are speaking with a different voice, uh, they were convinced they were in the majority. They spoke as if they were in the majority. And a lot of people thought, oh, maybe it's only us. <laughs> and we went to synod and it turned out it was not just one church. It wasn't just one pastor. It wasn't a handful of people. Um, it's, it's the majority. Um, maybe this is the denomination we thought it was. Uh, and that's not to say in any sense that, that we have this deep antagonism or hatred towards others. That's not the issue at all. Um, but we can acknowledge, you know, Paul, Paul Vanderclay has been really good at that. There are some fundamental differences, some, some I think, confessional differences, even, even gospel differences uh, that we need to have a conversation about. Um, maybe lots about the surface things. And, and I think at least we began that. I felt like we made, made real progress. And I feel like in the coming years, uh, we're going to have those conversations increasingly. It's still going to be about details. I mean, we're going to have to talk about church polity and church order and, and you know, what does discipline look like at the local or classical or denominational level? I mean, there are conversations we have to have, and we'll have those. Uh, yeah. But at the same time, you know, we got to have those conversations in light of what are we really debating? Yeah. You know, what's the real difference here? And I think we started that. that it really genuinely encouraged me. Uh, and I found out that I am eager to have that conversation. Um, I think maybe just learning, learning that about myself. Um, you know, I, I used to be a really 
pretty passive person, especially growing up, super shy. <laughs> and uh, I'm, I am fired up. And uh, I, I, am, I am excited about this work we're doing together as a denomination for the first time in a while. Yeah. And yeah. So that, I think was, that was a really good outcome of Synod. Yeah. That's a huge, that's a huge thing. I want to just put an exclamation point is uh, one of the things I'm seeing as a result of this Synod is that I'm seeing a renewed joy and passion for people to be part of the Christian Reformed Church. And, uh, and, and that hasn't been there for a long time. Uh, there, there, you know, we've, there's a lot of people came to be part of the Christian Reformed Church that loved who we once were, but did not love who we are now. And now as a result of what kind of Synod 2022 revealed, people are like, wow, this is good. Like things are heading in the right direction. We're, we're seeing some guys that we really respect and appreciate. And we've got some leaders coming up in the, in our denomination that we respect and, and are, and are kind of bringing us along here. And we're seeing good stuff. We're seeing God move in the denomination. And that's kind of renewing this passion and joy to be part of this where that hasn't been there for quite a while. And so um, it, it is exciting to be in the Christian Reformed Church and to be part of all of this right now. Uh, just because we can see, yeah, God's doing a new thing. Exactly. And, and I think it reminded us again that that is this is a shared work. That, you know, our local congregation is part of the Church of Jesus Christ. And I think our 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 common bonds together as a denomination, they matter. In fact, I mean, you know, if they if they didn't matter, none of us would bother. Yeah. And that goes, and that's across the board. You know, I think there are a lot of people who who, you know, we might call progressive. I, again, I'm not crazy about the term, but um, but they, at the same time, they care about the denomination. Um, they're also at least taking it seriously and thinking it through deeply and asking simple questions like, what does it mean to be part of a denomination? What does it mean that we have shared ministry together? Uh, how are we going to work that out? <laughs> what are the implications of that? And that that's a good thing. Even if we end up disagreeing in the end, it's a good conversation to have. And a worthwhile one, and and I think one that that we're all ready to have, yeah. and so that, that's going to be now. Is that going to happen again overnight? No, I know some people are saying, "Oh, we we should have just finished it all off this past synod." That was never going to happen, mm -hmm. you know. Or maybe in twenty twenty three, we, you know, each side thinks in you know a, a little less than a year from now we're going to sort it all out, and again, that's not going to happen. I'm, I'm confident we'll make some progress, mm -hmm. but I mean, that's just not the way life works. That's not the way the church works. Um, but as long as we're engaged, as long as we're passionate, and I think maybe that's one of the things that, that I've already noticed. Um, I, I think a lot of Orthodox churches, churches that are kind of, I, I somewhat call them traditional. Um, that's not really a style thing, but at least theologically, mm -hmm. but they had, been a little internally focused. Um, yeah, they were, most of them were pretty passionate about world missions, happy to support some missionaries doing their work, uh, but maybe less engaged um, in the work of classes in the denomination, uh, maybe thinking that wasn't very important. And some of that because we were discouraged, you know, I think that's certainly part of it. Uh, but we have realized that in doing so, maybe we abdicated in, in many ways and, and we didn't engage and others did. And, and those who didn't engage, well, then they got the positions. They're the ones doing the writing. 
they're they're the ones making decisions and uh, and we're saying okay if this is if this is the church if this is our church we have a responsibility to her and yeah. and we're gonna we're gonna work uh, to see her strong um also at the classical and denominational level uh, because it's worth it yeah i think I, I love just putting it that way because um, not only then is this kind of renewed involvement in denominational things, not only is that a um, just a passionate change, but it's actually an act of repentance on our part. It is. Um, I think I think it's a it's a, it is a massive act of repentance on the from the I hate the labels, too, but the conservatives, whatever, orthodox realizing, hey, we have dropped the ball. We, we have kind of pulled out. We've just focused on our own churches and our own communities, which is important, right? That is our primary calling. Um, but we've kind of neglected some of these other matters. And so we repent because things have gotten bad. And now, and part of repentance is then living into how we should have been act, being involved in classical and denominational matters. And so, so people repent and they turn back and they get involved and then we get called a coup. <laughs> there's actually, there's a lot of irony in many ways. I, I think, you know, I think like you said, we, we are repenting in some sense. We did drop yeah. the ball. We were, we were behaving as if we were congregationalists and we yeah. shouldn't have because we're not. Uh, there's no small irony that those who are most engaged denominationally, who thought that work was the most important, are now claiming that we're in fact congregationalists, and we shouldn't actually have any, you know, responsibility to one another. We can do whatever we want. Uh, we really can't have it both ways. I think we are repenting. I was actually struck, you know, at Synod there were mostly really respectful conversations, but a few times things got heated. Um, but there was a number of what we might call conservatives who publicly repented uh, for their heated words, who said, you know, yeah, I, that was wrong of me. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. You know, I asked for and, and that's exactly what we should do. Amen. That's exactly what we should do. And and I think we need to be honest about that. We are not congregationalists. I keep hearing that word floating around. I mean, it's just not so. And that's a whole different kind of church polity. We don't believe in that. We have a Presbyterian system of government. Yes. You know, we're, this is not a democracy. It's it's ruled by by fundamentally elders. And 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 those elders and as pastors, we function not only at the local level, but we function at the classical level and we function at the denominational level. We have a real position there, and it matters. And we have to be. We have to take that seriously. And, and we acknowledge we haven't always done that, especially when it was inconvenient. Um, and we yeah. have to do better. We're called to do better. Yeah, absolutely, Stephen. And kind of pursuant to that end, my question for you is, uh, obviously God is at work uh, mightily in our world, in our churches, in our denomination. Um, and so since we believe that to be true, and since Synod has spoken about how God has spoken, um, what are what are some words that you would kind of leave people with, maybe going forward uh, into this next year and looking forward to next synod? Um, what are some things that you would leave us with? Well, I, again, I think we have we have to go back to God's word, and and again, that, that's it sounds trite, but it's not. We have been influenced by a culture that is obsessed with freedom, a false idea of freedom. It's not real freedom. I think we live in a culture of slaves. Amen. People who are slaves to sin 
and slaves to unrighteousness and, and slaves to their own passions. And, and we don't want to live in that world. We want real freedom. And real freedom is found in Christ. It's the only way to find freedom in hmm. uh, and, and full obedience to him. That's where we really find freedom. And I think, again, denominationally, this idea that as congregations, we can be free and that we can do whatever we want, that nobody gets to tell us what to do. That's a worldly idea. That's, that's not a, a scriptural idea. That's not a godly idea. God gives us office bearers um, to help us, to be under shepherds. Yes, Jesus is perfectly good. You know, one of the things that I struggle with at Senate, you know, my committee dealt with the code of conduct. And, and by it, I mean, you know, our church has a code of conduct. I'm not opposed to the idea. And there was a lot of really good things in that. Uh, but in the preamble to that document, it, it said that Jesus always uses his power for the flourishing of others. I'm not sure that's actually true. I mean, I, I, I mean one day Jesus will return to judge the living and the dead. Mm -hmm. And he will cast his enemies into eternal torment. And that's not a popular idea today, but that's what Jesus says. That's what the scriptures say. It, it's, it's horrible, and yet it's true. Uh, that will not be for their flourishing. It will be right. It will be good. It will be just. But Jesus will one day use his power for that. But even for us, even for his church, even for his, his beloved ones, sometimes our flourishing requires his work of discipline and not a, not a one of us likes it. I don't like it. Mm -hmm. And as under shepherds, I, I'm honest. It's probably my greatest weakness. I don't like doing it. I don't like confronting people. It's really hard. It, it is. But you know, I mean, when you have children, you don't say, Oh, well, you want to run into the street. Oh, well, go ahead. I don't want to, you know, squash your freedom. I don't want to, you know, curb your creativity, run where you want. No, you stop your child, no matter what it takes, and you do what it takes to make sure they don't run into the road because you love them. We have to love people enough to stop them from running into the road. I think it's just that simple, and we're not. Um, and as congregations, I think we have to love other congregations enough to stop them from running into the road sometimes. And that's not, that's not being mean. That's loving them. That's caring for each other. That, that's it's a very scriptural analogy you know if you see a brother doing something wrong you go and talk to them you know if if they don't listen to you you bring somebody else along if they don't listen to them you you bring in the church i think we can do the same analogy congregation to congregation classes to classes you know if if, if you're concerned about another church you go and talk to them if they won't listen well then then you know bring in some office bearers from the classes if they won't listen we have to be accountable to each other because each and every one of us is a sinner. Each and every one of us is fallible. Each of us has limited knowledge. Um, we're broken in weird places. We don't always recognize. Nice. We're, we're liable to, to believe all kinds of false things. And, and as a whole church, we're stronger than any of us individually. And so I think the, the biggest thing we can do is to start to, live as a denomination again uh, stop living as if as if autonomy could ever exist we're never going to be autonomous we're creatures and we're not autonomous as individuals we're not autonomous as congregations we're not autonomous regionally 
and 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 that's hard to give up because that's our our sinful inclination. <laughs> Nobody gets to tell me what to do, except that God does. That's all we have for this week. Stay tuned next week to hear Willie and I reflect on some of the current things happening in the Christian Reformed Church. But until then, don't forget this is Christ's church, and he bought it with his blood. And we've been warned that wolves will come in trying to destroy the flock. So keep a close watch on your life and on your doctrine. Preach the word in season and out of season. And keep fighting the good fight in this messy reformation. Reformation.